Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 195 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. We finally completed the winter treatments, three rounds of oxalic acid sublimation, and my thoughts now turn to what might be the most vulnerable time for our colonies. I'm also checking for Nosema and chat a little about late winter feeding. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk. Hi everyone, welcome once more to my weekly podcast and our journey through winter continues. Here we are heading towards the last week or so of January and I have to say so far I like what I'm seeing with our bees. We have live bees in every box and as normal with what I'm seeing some are really strong, some are what I would describe as average and there are a number that are on the smaller side and they do give me a little bit of concern but it's fairly standard for this time of the year. In recent years I find January is usually a quiet weather month. Some chilly spells, a little frost, a few warmer days but nothing terribly dramatic that shuts everything down or at least not for long. It looks like the end of the month is going to carry on along those lines with daytime temperatures in the high single figures maybe eight or nine degrees celsius that's around what 46 to 50 fahrenheit ish i'm hoping we'll have a dry spell although today has been somewhat showery it would be helpful for the bees if we had a little drying out time for them as the air has been quite damp and of all of the weather conditions i find that cold winter damp is the most damaging for our bees clingy cold conditions that allow combs to go mouldy and unusable and hives to remain damp with condensation. But looking at the forecast it does seem we may be in for a couple of weeks of drier weather and if the breeze picks up it will blow away the damp and colonies should be able to move around and grab some food. Then we hit February. February for me is the biggest challenge I worry over the smaller colonies and hope they have enough bees to maintain a reasonable cluster temperature to help them survive. Ironically, I don't have those concerns for nucleus colonies. These are the ones in the four-frame honeypaw langstroths, the five-frame wooden commercials, or the six-frame BS honeybees nationals. The nucleus colonies always seem to pull through. It's the smaller colonies in the full-size hives that suffer the most, and some eventually perish through hypothermia. I wouldn't say that winter losses are inevitable, but when they happen, they aren't really a surprise. More of a disappointment, I suppose, in that I feel I've failed to support those colonies sufficiently to keep them going until spring finally breaks through. And it won't be long. The next six weeks will seem, on the one hand, as an eternity, waiting for the bees to get out and benefit from 
early spring pollens such as hazel, snowdrops and winter aconite. And on the other hand, it will pass almost in a blink of an eye as we race around trying to get preparations for the new season finalised and kit readied for the eagerly anticipated early start. We are, of course, fully dependent on the changes in the weather and hoping for a warm early spring. Something like 2020 would be nice here in Norfolk. We had colonies foraging fields of oilseed rape in full bloom by late April and growing strongly, whereas last season we were really only just getting going and May turned out to be quite cold and slow for us. All of this is really quite critical for the success of my season, really. With a warm, dry start to the season, our colonies will be able to grow and develop strongly and will easily be able to cope with the splits that I'm planning to put in place. Here, I'm relying heavily on the swarming instinct of the colonies, that urge in the spring to naturally split and multiply, leaving behind a new queen while the old queen heads off and attempts to set up a new colony elsewhere. It's a potentially tricky time for splits. I can't overstate the importance of mature drones here. There's absolutely no point in splitting colonies or even losing swarms if there aren't any mature drones available for them. And although you would think colonies would hold off swarming too early in order to ensure there are enough drones around for mating flights, we saw back in 2019 the problems that can occur when there are insufficient early drones. Many of our colonies at that time that had either been split or had swarmed suddenly found themselves with drone-laying queens as mating flights failed again and again, all due to low numbers of drones and a sudden period of cold, wet weather. I would say that single event probably set me back a full season of growth in my business. All that doom and gloom said, us beekeepers are generally an optimistic bunch and I'm ever hopeful we'll have a great start to the new season and boxes will fill rapidly with new colonies as we build our numbers for the summer flow. All of that is some way off. As I said, it seems to take forever to get here, but at the same time, blink and you'll miss it. And that's why we need to keep focusing on what needs to be done now and plan the way ahead carefully. Bee health is always top of the list. Varroa treatments are now complete. The next check will be some random colony nosema checks. I don't intend checking all of our colonies, maybe 10 or 20% of them. It's a straightforward enough test, but does require a little bit of planning again. Nosema is known as a spore-forming microsporidian, and there are many different types, but just two that, as far as I'm aware, affect our honeybees, Nosema apis and Nosema serrane. Here in the UK, there's no authorised treatment for Nosema, but there are some fairly easy steps that you can take to reduce the loading within a hive once you detect it. Let me explain the testing process first. It involves sampling adult bees from the hive, and the easiest way to do this is to wait for a reasonably warm part of the day when the bees are out flying. If you see a decent number of bees going out and back to the hive, simply plug the entrance with a piece of foam or cloth, just anything to stop bees getting out and more importantly, getting back in. As the bees begin to pile up against the outside of the hive, have a small bag such as a sandwich bag or a self-seal freezer bag ready. And if you have it, add a paper towel with some ethyl acetate soaked into it to kill the bees quickly and humanely. 
You want a decent number of bees as your sample. 30 as an absolute minimum, but 60 would be better. It will give you more confidence in the results. All you have to do is to pick up the bees by the wings and pop them into the bag. If you don't have ethyl acetate, I would just stick the bag in the freezer for a couple of hours. Once you're ready, did I mention you'll need a microscope? Sorry about that, but you will need a microscope. If you haven't got one, speak to other members of your association and see if you can buddy up and share one. Empty all of the bees out of the freezer bag, one hive sample at a time, into a pestle and mortar, and add a few drops of water. The next step's not so pleasant to describe, but you need to grind them down into a bit of a pulp. I know it's not nice, but it is necessary. Once you've done this, you can transfer a small amount of the liquid onto a microscope slide, and if you want, add a small amount of nigrosin. It's known as a gram-negative stain, and it will make it easier to see the nosema spores. Basically, the background goes grey, and the nosema stand out as tiny white grains, quite similar to rice really, only much smaller, hence the need for a microscope. The stain causes the outer casings of the spores to appear dark, and the body of the spore to appear light. It's really effective, but you can get away without using it if you know what you're looking for. When you look at the sample under a microscope, if you only see one or two spores, I would say you're fairly safe to say that that colony has currently got a very low nosema count. If you see a slide full of nosema, you're going to have to act. But how can you act if there's no authorised treatment? Well, nosema is one of those infections that spreads through faecal matter. As the bees get sick, they lose their energy and can't get out to fly on cleansing flights. So they just poop on the frames. Other bees wander around trying to clean up the mess and become infected with the spores, passed on by the sickly bees, and so the problem multiplies. The hive needs a clean. If it's just a light infection, some simple comb change procedures will work just fine. Hopefully, you're already in the habit of changing two or three frames of old comb each year already, and if you are, you probably won't have a large nosema problem anyway. But if it's a heavy infection, I would go with a full shook swarm comb change. A Bailey comb change would swap out the frames, but you'll have lots of bees walking spores from infected frames up onto the new frames, so I'd just go with a complete frame change. Timing of the shook swarm in this instance is really important and will vary from hive to hive. Weather conditions again will play a major part in when you can perform the shook swarm, but it does need to be a bit warmer overnight if at all possible to help the bees have as much time as possible building comb. But if the colony is desperately ill, I would carry out the process as soon as the new season allows. Get some food on them and let them draw out new comb. If you happen to have some spare clean drawn comb, so much the better. Give them a few frames of that, but do something, otherwise it will only end up in a sickly colony that will struggle all year to build up until the final few weeks of the summer, and then they'll barely be big enough to overwinter again. All you'll have done is thrown time and money at them for little or no return. With spring beginning to feature in the minds of beginner beekeepers, it's possibly a good time to urge patience and caution. I know many beekeepers up and down the country will be preparing overwintered nucleus colonies for customers, many of whom will be beginners. If you're one of those beginner beekeepers, don't be in a rush to get those bees too soon. There's an awful lot of weather that can happen in early spring, and nucleus colonies dumped into full-size hives with a gallon of sugar syrup stacked on top 
will really struggle if the weather turns cold and wet. It's far better to be a month late than a month early, and I've no doubt the bees will certainly catch up. As the brood in the nucleus colony begins to emerge, you'll find the size of your new population of bees will be far better able to look after the young larvae should the temperature dip a little, and you won't have large areas of exposed brood that will chill and die. If that same nuke is placed into a full-size hive too early, they'll undoubtedly struggle to keep the extra space warm, resulting in large areas of frames left uncovered and unworked. Good quality nukes take time to make up, treat, feed, overwinter, and let's face it, they're a significant investment, so don't be rushed into taking your pre-ordered nuke too early. Weather conditions will always determine when the bees are ready to go, and it could be early, but nucleus colonies bursting with bees will grow far quicker in a full-size hive and reward you with a lot of pleasure if managed well. Finally, it's almost feeding time. Certainly next week I'll be going round the apiaries to heft and gauge what colonies need in terms of any additional feed. Fondant is the only way to get carbs into the hives right now. Sugar syrup is just too cold for them and acts rather like a heat sink, drawing warmth away from the cluster and potentially stressing the bees further. You'll know my preferred fondant is the Apipasta fondant from Modern Beekeeping. It's the one with the added vitamins and amino acids. The bees seem to take to it really well. And as it's a small one kilo pack, it stays warm and soft for them when centred above the main cluster. Hives with crime boards that have holes cut in them can be rotated so that the hole is directly above that cluster, or you can add an eek, a kind of simple wooden surround, so that the fondant can be placed directly on the top of the frames. With our honey pour hives, I've left the polyfeeders on all winter, but upturned to leave a cavity above the bees. This is where we'll be popping the fondant on these hives. There's many a different technique for getting the fondant into position that best serves the bees, and I'm sure you'll find one that suits you. In some areas, we'll probably switch to pollen substitute in late winter, usually the last week or so of February, but that will only be in apiaries where we can see a distinct lack of pollen being collected, and I'll talk some more about that next month. Well, that's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. And just so you don't forget, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. <laughs>